Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can also find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on Twitter at LonghornPod and feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I also want to remind you of the Texas Exus off week open golf tournament. We are so close. We are just about 12 days out on Saturday, September 28th at Wildcat Golf Course. It's a 9 a.m. shotgun style start with a four player scramble. Uh, tournament and sponsorship information can be found over at TexasXs.com. Now, we, we advertise this because all proceeds benefit the Houston Chapter Scholarship Fund, which goes to help someone have an incredible experience at the University of Texas, like so many of us got to. So it's a great cause to support. Uh, breakfast, lunch, encore snacks, and plenty of libations will be available for you. And the marquee raffle item is two tickets to the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot in New York. You don't actually have to be present at the tournament to win the raffle. You just got to go to TexasXs.com to purchase your tickets well my name is gerald goodrich i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by a man who doesn't have florida ahead of texas in his top 25 kyle carpenter kyle how are you you know i'm doing better than matt baker at the tampa bay times who chose to put texas at uh, 24 uh this week after after others receiving votes in past weeks there's haters always gonna be haters and with that said uh they hate us because they ain't us i'm happy to be here gerald i'm having a good start to my week how about you you think he's mad that Texas fired Charlie Strong, so they ended up with him down in Tampa? Like, is that is that why he's upset? I hadn't put that together, but that might be the most astute observation yet. That's That's got to be it. If Texas hadn't fired Charlie Strong, then he wouldn't have ended up at USF, Char- and that guy's mad about it. <laughs> Charlie Strong tanking Texas yet again. No, I, I love Charlie. Shouts to him. Hope he turns it around down there. Um, you, you may be right. Let's get into it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, we're going to do our rice recap today. We're, again, doing our normal two-show uh, breakup. We'll do the rice recap today, and then we will give you some Oklahoma State preview on our Thursday show. Texas put on a show against Rice, balled out 509 total yards of offense en route to a big win over the Rice Owls. I think they were up 38 nothing when they pulled the starters in the th- like what, what, three minutes left in the third quarter. So a big showing from the offense and the starting defense against a Rice Owls team. Kyle, you and I said a week ago that like a, a sign of success for this game would be exactly what they did is just beating the mess out of an overmatched team and resting the starters for the better part of the second half. And so that's what happened. So Kyle, what did you like from the Texas Longhorns? Uh, specifically, let's start with the offense on a Saturday. Well, I mean, I, th- I think the offense came out and did exactly what you needed. This was clearly a, a, a mismatch. This was, um, you know, playing against the practice level um, caliber in, 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 there's two things that we wanted to see. No, obviously, hangover from the LSU game. Going from LSU to Rice is, is pretty uh, drastic. Um, and then, 
you didn't want to see a Tom Herman team play down to the team they're playing. Let's think back to Tulsa. You know, let's think back to a couple of those games last year. This was a team that came in and said, we're a top 10 team. Here's how we play. It doesn't matter who's in front of us. Um, and they truly put the, the, the foot on the gas pedal and, and honestly the foot on the throat uh, of the Rice Owls and never really let up, especially with the ones in the game. So that's kind of exactly what you wanted to see. I think the offense fired pretty well on all cylinders, but it begins obviously to me with the best player on the team and I and I feel so confident and so happy to say that that Sam Ellinger is playing uh exactly as good as we all I think hoped or maybe even better than we assumed that he could be um I think the touch he showed on on the deep ball that that he hit uh Jake Smith with um and some of his downfield 15 to 20 yard um patterns he he put just on the money. I mean, it was it was a Colt McCoy like performance where um, the guy had four incompletions all game and two of them were drops. You know, so uh, the passing offense was phenomenal. Without you know their their star receiver and Colin Johnson still um, went out and were just pretty flawless. Uh, I did like to see that our run game got going um, and they controlled the clock, controlled the ball, moved what they wanted. Um, didn't kill themselves with dumb penalties. Just all the things that you want. They came out and looked like you know, an elite team. I remember, uh, I have a good friend who my brother's best friend actually played quarterback for North Texas, um, in the, uh, the early two thousands. And he told me once, um, I said, you know, who's the, what was the, the worst or the hardest game you ever had as a quarterback? And he said, we opened two, two seasons with, with Texas. And it was like playing, uh, NFL players. They were just so fast. They hit so hard. Every time we thought we drew something up, they snuffed it out with talent. I couldn't do anything. Um, it was the roughest eight quarters of my life. That's how a team that is undermatched should feel playing Texas. And I think Texas was back to that standard on Saturday. Yeah. And, and the Texas offense, like they did some things that they haven't ever done under Tom Herman. And, and you can get more about this in the inside the numbers piece I do every Sunday for, for BLN on the actual website. But this is the, this is the first time, um, that Texas has gone back to back 500 yard games under, uh, under Tom Herman, um, hadn't happened before. Um, so it's, it's like just the fifth time in the last 10 years, Texas has gone back to back actually, uh, with 500 yards Mm -hmm. and they were like, they were just clipping on all cylinders, seven, seven twenty seven. So they averaged 7.27 yards per play, which is actually the highest mark under Tom Herman. Uh, they've hit seven yards one other time, which was that crazy San Jose state <laughs> game. When we all thought that Chris Warren was the, the second coming of Jamal Charles, uh, after that one. And it just didn't work out. And the crazy thing about that was, is that the, like the, the late, I guess the last three minutes of the third and all of the fourth quarter actually brought that average down. When they pulled the offensive starters, they were averaging 7.8 yards per play. So, like, it was a – they were just moving the ball. And I think it was the most impressive thing was the offensive line looked like they were just playing against air at some points. Like, the holes that they were able to create for Keontae Ingram, which was huge because that dude needed a confidence boost. He was struggling after last week. And they were able to create some wide open running lanes for him wide enough that he could see it. I think he's been, he's been struggling to pick his spot. So him being able to see those as big as they were, will hopefully translate to when they're not quite as big against Oklahoma state. Um, but he, he seemed to get his confidence back. He gave a rice defender, like the best five finger stop sign I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I say that second best one we sat in high school, we had a kid that went D one um, and then just, 
stiff arm the guy into the ground and like the little black pellets are flying up in the air. It's the one of the one of the defining moments of my high school career. Second best stiff arm I think I've seen um, in, in in my my thirty ish years of life. So the offense was just absolutely clipping. And Ellinger is like. Ellinger's off to a historic start. He he is in rarefied air right now. The start to his season has been he's he's breaking and tying Colt McCoy season records. Like the 2008 Colt McCoy season, the the mythic one. Like right. everybody talks about 09 because right. Texas you know went to the national championship game, but 08 was actually his junior year was actually his better year. Um, and and Sam is um, is having a better three game start than Colt McCoy as far as total yardage goes with, with uh, over a thousand. And then he tied Colt McCoy for the most touchdowns in, in three games this season, that same 2008 season. So like he is like, his name is b- beside Tua and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts, who won't be there for very long, but as, as like the best quarterbacks in the country, the, guys the, that the wonderful thing are, are going to be in New York when, when December and January come him, with him throwing the ball. When even in this off season, as early as, you know, heading into the LSU game, when people hadn't really watched La Tech, the national discussion around Ellinger was, well, of course he can run, but, but can he throw? He hasn't run very much at all this year. When a, when a pocket breaks, breaks down, he's scrambled. They've had maybe five design runs outside of goal line powers or anything, but um, he just really hasn't run this whole season, um, which is fantastic. We're talking about Sam breaking records, and we're talking about him doing it as a quarterback. So it just, for all the folks who during this off season, you know, made, made um, glorified fullback uh, jokes and things on, on the Twitter. Sam is just um, asking how they like their, their crow, you know, grilled, sauteed, fried, um, but they're going to eat it. Um, and it's, it's, it tastes delicious uh, over here watching them do so. So the, the hope obviously is that uh, as we get into the meat of the big 12, when he's going to be in some shootouts, that this efficiency um, just keeps up and that the, uh, you know, the accuracy and obviously the, the controlling the ball, which was one of the keys to the season that we talked about in the offseason, and they were obviously legendary at it last year and protecting the ball and winning the turnover battle. And so far um, it seems to not be a fluke. So if, if that can be the legacy uh, of Sam, then I think, you know, you, you, you very well could have those types of postseason award conversations. Yeah. And, and you and I talked about it in our, in our season, in our season preview that we needed to know if Sam Ellinger's ability to control the ball was the, was the exception or the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Did he top out last year and he's on the cusp, like, Basically, by the end of the game against Oklahoma State, if he doesn't throw an interception, he will have the two longest streaks without an interception in school history. So, like, I think I think that's the norm. I think that's not a uh, an aberration. It's not going to normalize. And I think the other thing that I have to talk about, and we have to talk about because we're kickers and punters podcast, is is Texas trotted Cameron Dicker out for a 57-yard field goal. Texas trotted the man out. So last week, everyone was like, 58 yards. Why, are they, why is the kicker out there? And then Texas was like, all right, say less. And, and just trotted Dicker out there. Uh, and he hit from 57 with some room to spare. Right, like he, he oh, yeah. had a little bit of leg behind it. That that was good from from sixty two, sixty three. I mean, it, you you could have you could have got easily another five yards squeezed out of that thing. It was it was. It was beautiful, and I'm glad you you followed up our, our best player with clearly our second best player, uh, Cameron Dicker. You know these are these are two guys who are, who are waiting for award season. Uh, Lou Lou Groza, the the Dicker the kicker, you know. But uh, it was fantastic, man. I I truly thought, hey, it's a dome. Maybe they're just seeing what he can do. But no, he did, stepped up there confidently and just ripped it. Like I said, uh, or like you said, with a couple yards to spare. So 
that'll be a great sign, especially because we think there's going to be some really good offenses and some probably close games in the near future. And I say that, I said that there because you mentioned shootouts and, and that's a legitimate weapon in a shootout. If, if you can get, if you can get to what, like the 38 yard line, like just run Dicker out there. Like you don't have to get super close. You basically have to move the ball about 40 yards at, with your offense and put Dicker out there. And he's, he is one of like 14 people in the what hundred ish, 150 ish years of Texas football that have uh, one of like 14 people that has two kicks over 50 yards. Yeah. Right. There are only two other people that have 57 yards or longer. And one of them is like the legend who has like 67 yarders under his belt. Yeah. uh, Who again, I don't know if anybody's going to break his record, uh, but they may try. They may just trot him out there as a senior and be like, Hey, it's North Texas, kick it from 70 and see what happens. (laughs) No, I love that. And and I think, I think the, the, the shootout is precipitated on, you know, how the offense plays and we'll get to the defense in a moment, but I think it's, uh, it's a disservice if we talk about the offense and leave it just at the quarterback, because we wanted to see a lot of things from, you know, full depth chart, top and bottom from our skill positions. And I think we saw a lot, honestly, I, I think in, in the running game, um, some questions were answered. LSU obviously had a really good defense and Keontae Ingram, um, had a pretty horrific play that, you know, probably dealing some percentage of that with a, with a nagging knee injury and then some percentage with a, uh, a nagging in your, in your mind injury. Um, it seemed that he shook one, if not both of those and, and got into a groove that I really hope, uh, carries over because that's, that's what we're going to need. He seemed, he seemed to be running well. He showed that burst that we expected from him uh, when we saw him coming out of high school. So I think a lot of that is still there. I just think he's got to, he's, he's just got to get his legs underneath him and his head in the right, in the right frame of mind. And Roshan looked really good. Oh yeah. I've been, I've been one of those guys. that's like Roshan's too good of a quarterback to move him to running back, but Roshan's too good of a running back at this point for what Texas has on the field for, for them to do anything else with him. Like, Quarterback may not because Ellinger is going to stay for another year, right? And then you've got you've got Thompson, you've got Hudson Card, you've got Jaquin and Jackson. So like that quarterback room is going to get really, really competitive, really, really fast. And Roshan showed that like he's he's not like a small guy and he's not the shy away from contact guy. Like he was just like putting his nose in there and getting nasty, which I appreciate. Um, and and he connected with that wheel route, the wheel, the out of the backfield wheel route that. Texas just needs to call at least twice every game. Seriously. Um, his first career touchdown, right? 30 yard or was like 25 yard reception, mm-hmm. um, which was just incredible. So I think Texas needs to find ways, even when Whittington gets back, right? Even when Danny Young is no longer favoring that leg. I think Texas needs to find ways to get Roshan Johnson on the field. Like the guy, the guy, he basically is sacrificing his red shirt for the best of the team. And he's a weapon. It's like, put him out, like, Put him out there in a wildcat quarterback. Put him out there at a at a slot guy. Like play him like Ramon's Taylor, where you just put him anywhere on the field. Seriously, and, he, and and he's showing why. I mean, you look back at his high school numbers, and it seems fake, like fake news. It's sixty seven uh, hundred yards passing and forty nine hundred yards rushing. I mean, they are they are NCAA cheat code numbers like that they're nuts but you kind of see it now right I mean you look back and think obviously um Keontae Ingram coming here uh in what he did in high school and then coming in and instantly slotting in Trey Watson just a heroic performance um if you go back another season and you look at the running back obviously that was this Ellinger uh you know doing doing a lot of it but with Kyle Porter Danny Young Chris Warren to Neil Carter um <laughs> It's kind of crazy, but I guess it's just that caliber of athlete. Roshan Johnson is probably our 
third and, and Whittington we'll see exactly what he can do he could he could clearly just shatter through that but probably like our third best running back um post foreman like it's kind of crazy to think about that like he uh he's a guy who who you know just has a wild ceiling and and, and again as he learns this position if this is his long-term um role at texas uh he, he's gonna he's gonna see a lot of the field and he's going to see it in a lot of different ways. And he's going to be a weapon. Um, you know, I don't want to go quite Percy Harvin level, but he's going to be a weapon with him and Whittington. The types of things you can do with both of those guys when they're healthy and, and the different ways that they can beat a defense. I'm actually more excited now thinking about when Whittington comes back than I was in the beginning when it was just Ingram and Whittington as the healthy guys. Um, but I, we also can't uh, skip over without saying it was very exciting to see Danny Young back in the fold. So three you know running backs and, and again we're, we're calling rush on just a straight up running back at this point but three running backs on the depth chart makes everyone feel a little bit better um i do think that they probably held casey thompson a little bit back from doing any running because if roshan's a running back that means we're back to two quarterbacks um so we really don't want him getting more hits than we need to uh right at this moment so um that may have also affected kind of how thompson played uh during his time in there but i mean it is great to see a little depth at that position that you know just a week ago we were you know red uh, red sirens were going off with how dire that looked absolutely and so we, we gotta we gotta move on to the outside i think we, we have to talk about the wide receivers and what happened uh kyle you were so close to a podstradamus lock you 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 had a hundred right for for jake smith and uh i think i had i I, I think i had two touchdowns is what i had no no i did Did have have two touchdowns no i had a hundred i had a hundred yards (laughs) i thought he had a hundred and touchdowns a hundred and a touchdown yeah so colin johnson sat with an injury we'll have some updates for you uh when we do our thursday show um so so malcolm epps got the start in that spot malcolm epps Four receptions for 53 yards should have five receptions for 103 yards, but a 50-yard reception was called back on a call that won't go that way when Big 12 play hits um, because Big 12 refs are used to RPOs rather than yeah. um, seeing what the offensive line is, is doing. That that call does not get called in a Big 12 game. Like I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. That flag stays in the pocket in a Big 12 game. So uh, he, he should have been over 100 yards. And, and Devin Duvernay, six receptions, 60 yards, had two, uh, two clutch third down conversions. I was going to see if we could offer a Devin Duvernay drinking game, but I don't <laughs> want anybody to die on our account. Uh, but Kyle and Gerald told me to do it. Don't, don't do that to us. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was a really good performance from, from the wide receiver group, at least that starting unit without Colin Johnson. Oh yeah, for sure. And even John Burt, um, the, the senior who I, I am personally rooting for, uh, very much to, to, you know, cap off his career, something good. He had blocked well, but also got himself a catch. So, so hats off to him. Um, I, I think, um, I think this group is going to be great. I mean, I think Eagles is is a certifiably part of the ones because he's a good enough blocker. I, I think with Epps, again, you, you, you take that play in and he's got a 100-yard receiving day. No shade thrown at that. But I think with Colin Johnson being out, you see a little bit of why a converted basketball player can't just slot right in for, for you know, Colin Johnson. That blocking, that's where we needed to improve. Jake Smith would have got my Potsdamas 100 um, if we had, you know, a little bit better blocking. He probably had of those receptions three, if not four of them, that were screens that went nowhere Part of that probably is him trying to hit a home run every time and maybe should take what's there instead of trying to get around a block, but also just didn't have the blocking that you get. Colin Johnson, very underrated uh, in that department. So, I mean, I think that's an area that we can see uh, Epps grow. Um, I think, like I said, Burt blocked pretty well um, when he was in, and so I think that is why, as the senior, he's he's listed with the ones as he can, he can add that. Um, but no, I mean, I think as a whole... 
Again, they, that unit looked good, looked deep, um, took away any any kind of consternation that you might have. Um, remember, you know, adding Colin Johnson changes not just the numbers he puts up there, but the whole dynamic of how a defense lines up. So the fact that they could do that without him there and that Epps basically slotted in and said, I could be a big dude who can catch a lot of stuff um, was fantastic. And, and that All these things, you know, are great. As long as they don't become our long term, we still want Colin Johnson out there. Yeah, and I think it kind of proves the conversation we had last week about um, Colin Johnson doesn't disappear. People just decide to bracket cover him, yeah. right? Like, they they were not afraid of Colin Johnson, so the safety wasn't over the top of that position. And Texas spread the ball out more than it has all year, where they had multiple guys getting in the action. They had, uh, you know, Duvernay had it, had it just a normal day at the office rather than 150 because he was drawing – you know, single coverage from a guy who's half a step slower than him. Right. So I think that like that proves how significant Colin Johnson is to this offense. And um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, as we look at the, the Oklahoma state game on Thursday. And I think we have to, we mentioned it briefly, but we have to talk about the offensive line. Absolutely. Uh, The offensive line group. What a difference two years makes. Oh yeah. Like two years ago, we had an offensive line expert on the podcast to talk about why the offensive line was so bad. It was a limiting factor for the Texas offense. It was a limiting factor for the Texas Longhorns' future production. They bring in Herb Hand, see a night and day change last year, see a complete improvement uh, on what was already a really, really good unit from, from 2018 to 2019, and they lost guys that were 40-year starters, yeah. and they lost a guy to the NFL. Like the, the job Herb Hand is doing with his offensive line group cannot be understated. Yeah, and, and again, you knew that they were going to be bigger, faster, stronger than than you know, the Rice uh, defensive line and linebackers, but they just utterly dominated that group in a way that I haven't seen a Texas offensive line do in a long time. I think Cosme did nothing to say that he's a, an all-Big 12, and, and depending how the next you know eight games go, could be an All-American. I mean, he looks that good. I uh, hate seeing what happened to Shaq really – fingers crossed that it's not going to be serious because he looked great while he was in there. The offense looked great while he was in there. Um, and in a guy who, you know, Parker Braun's getting better every week. I mean, he gets in the system. That's a Yancey win right there. Just bulking up, getting bigger, playing nastier. You know, he, we know he can run block, but the, the fact that he and Angelau have stepped up like they have in pass protection. And I, I think Angelau may have been, especially when Shaq went down and Kerstetter slid in, may have been our second best after Cosme lineman on the night. I mean, really you can pick any five and there wasn't, a drop off at six when uh, when we brought Okafor in. So, I mean, that's a great sign to me when they said we have six guys we can trust. You have six guys who could play on any team in the Big 12 uh, this year, and that's a fantastic feeling. And honestly, didn't hate seeing the twos come in there. They, they, they didn't look demonstrably bad. They didn't look so terrible before we couldn't find five, and now it looks like we have ten that can at least play football. Yeah, there were a couple more procedural penalties, sure. penalties excuse me, when the, when the twos came in, but that's just they haven't been playing, right? That's just a, they basically had all the procedural penalties that a team has in week one. Cause those guys have yet to see the field. So we do have to talk about the defense really quickly. Um, Texas gave up 266 yards to uh, rice in the game. So outside of a 15 yard run by uh, Aston Walter on the first play uh, from scrimmage, Texas actually held rice to an average of 2.2 yards per play uh, on their final 19 snaps of the first half. So the, the defense looked good. I, (laughs) this is going to be super embarrassing. I forgot Texas had Jawan Mitchell on the roster. And I was like, like I saw his number called a couple of times on the first series. And I was like, Mitchell, Mitchell. I love just, I was (laughs) was like, I, I just couldn't place it. And I was like, Oh, that's the Juco kid. Yep. Right. 
and and everything snapped into place. And Jawan Mitchell snapped into place five tackles and a sack. Uh, Dele got some action, tied him for the team lead five tackles and a sack. Coburn came away with his first sack of the season. There was a lot of good coming from that that front six guys. Texas started an extra defensive tackle. Uh, they ran kind of a four a four a traditional like four three. Yeah. Uh, look based on what Rice likes to do on offense. And, and that unit looked really, really good up front. Now, granted, again, it's against Rice, but still that unit had had a lot going for it. Yeah, they went from either a 4-3. At one point, they had a 3-4 with four linebacker look. Um, and, and even when they went 3-3-5, three, three, they had Brandon Jones and the nickel playing up close. So they really, um, obviously, were, were keying the Rice run game into to good effect. But um, I have to start my praise with the linebacker group, the group that out of all the positions we have started the season with the most issues we even talk about when we kind of defend the defensive back issues is because we're not getting, you know, the depth at linebackers. So you have defensive backs basically playing in linebacker type roles, um, all of those things. But, but this game they came out and played and I, I start right at the top with Juwan Mitchell, who everyone said he was a fast linebacker and he got down uh, downhill fast. And he did. I mean, he, he blew through uh, people making tackles in the backfield, got a sack. I mean, he, he put pressure, uh, just looked really, really good. Dele looked, looked solid uh, in his piece. I mean, I, I think you, you, you saw a lot of strength uh, no matter who they rolled out there. Even when you got the twos, um, they looked they look good, and I was that. That makes me feel a lot better. I don't think we're going to play uh, a ton of three linebacker, and especially not four linebacker sets going forward. But what that means is, if we're playing two linebacker sets, uh, we have depth, right? We have guys we can rotate in or positionally, situationally bring guys in um, and and feel a little bit better about that. So Juwan Mitchell might be the most positive takeaway from the defense, other than Keandre Coburn getting his first sack. Um, just a just a big old nasty beautiful hunk of man that he is uh i think it after he got that sack because he he fought through a double team to penetrate and then grab the quarterback and he just did like a like a a Conan the barbarian you know shout to the heavens uh after it and it was absolutely beautiful you could hear it on the broadcast um no dig at texas fans in the stadium but um you could hear it on the broadcast pretty clearly and i just love that pass and he was just a problem they had no one who could handle like his first step and his first push he just like you and I were texting about it during the game. He even played himself out of position because he got too far in the backfield a couple of times, which is a problem that I'm willing to live with. We can figure that one out. It's much better uh, than the opposite. Keandre Coburn hit them with a to crush your enemies and to see them driven before you and to hear the lamentations of their women after that sack. Like he, he did go straight Conan and I just wanted to get a Conan the barbarian quote in today's podcast. Um, yeah, no, he like, he was a man among boys. And I think that's going to be a continued differentiator for Texas. Cause we saw how good the defense was two years ago when Puna Ford was able to do that. And the linebackers were able to run free. And that's why I think Keandre Coburn will continue to do that. Uh, the secondary, again, it's hard to, to draw a, a comparison uh, because rice was just, it, it's, it's rice. They're not at the same caliber. Um, Kobe Boyce almost had a, had a play, but he, dropped a, a surefire pick six. He jumped her out. Um, the, the defensive backs looked okay. They still, I still wouldn't call them great, but they looked okay. They looked better and they look like they're starting to figure some stuff out. Um, as Texas heads into face a pretty potent Oklahoma state team. Yeah. And, and I mean, rice was, was doing something very specific that, that I think a team that knows they can't win 
does. I mean, they obviously were running the ball, trying to feed to their strengths there, but they also were slowing way down. I mean, they ran 20 plays in almost 10 minutes in the first half. Um, that's 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 not how you win football games, but they were they were trying to mitigate at that point. Um, and so I think also they, they obviously didn't pass a ton, um, but I think that affects the, the look. When you go from a, an LSU team that's trying to get 60 plays and a half if they can and that's just spreading out and throwing which is again still so weird to say um, but when you go from that immediately to a team that's slowing and then and, and powering it um, that can mess with the defense and so I'm really glad to see them respond but yeah I think in the secondary um, I mean Jalen Green looked looked fine he was he was at least aware he almost took when when uh, TQ pushed the lineman into the quarterback to cause what may have been a fumble. I think it was an incompletion correctly called, but Jalen Green played till the whistle. At first, they called it a touchdown recovery again. Yeah, like you said, Kobe Boyce might have had a pick six. Would have loved to turn over in this game, but I, you know, three and outs are also turnovers, I guess. But uh, but yeah, the, the the issues I saw was was Josh Thompson, a guy who we, we, we've really liked and wanted to see some, uh, some more of, got beat on a double move from their, you know, it's Rice's number one, but still it's Rice's number one. Uh, Trammell um, got beat on a move for a big pass when he was in one-on-one coverage, a 45-yard pass, and then and then had a 15-yard face mask on a third and 18 where they stopped him but gave him first down. Stuff like that just can't happen when we get into Big 12 play. you got to get your defense off the field. If you get a stop on third down, don't do something stupid, looking at you, Malcolm Roach, to keep your defense on the field because, you know, these offenses will make you pay for it. Um, the only guy who I saw in our entire two or even three deep who, and I don't mean to, 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 you know, throw anyone under the bus, but who just probably shouldn't see non-special team plays as Donovan Duvernay. I don't think he's, he's, he's pushing anyone um, for any of those cornerback spots as, as wide open as they may be. He got beat three times in a row on Rice's final drive. They ended in a touchdown. They were kind of targeting him, which is never a good sign when Rice is trying to pick you out uh, of a lineup. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle there. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to to say it. Um, last thing, man, my my Podstradamus pick, my my firing Smokey was was almost was almost there. I picked the wrong returner, so uh, Deshaun Jameson returned a 98 yard uh, touchdown kickoff for a touchdown uh, to cover the spread for a lot of Texas fans. Yep, uh, they were very very happy, or at least a lot of people in the desert were very happy about it. Um, Ojomo almost blocked a punt, like. Is special teams going to be a thing this year? Like, is Texas going to make some plays on special teams? I've talked to Coach Nivar quite a bit in in the past, and and he he gets excited about special teams. I think he he uh, he's not a guy who's going to run crazy gimmicky gadgety stuff, but he obviously sees the value in it. Um, it's it's his position group, and he, he takes it very seriously. And I I think um, the Deshaun Jameson thing could be could not be you know just a one off fluke. He when he got going, it looked like he's one of those runners who his full speed it looks like he's still three-quarter jogging but then you realize he's chopping away from people he just looks so fluid and easy um and it looked like he didn't even have to accelerate all the way until he got to that kicker who he all right people kicker um made made look terrible but then his next like six steps he was gone no one i mean angles were erased and and so if you have that type of speed and you have guys who are you know big and fast around him who are willing to make blocks um that could happen or it could be jake smith like you said um that that could happen but i, I think that's exciting and like i said that that ajomo coming up the middle quick quicker than a defensive tackle should move and then getting getting some some separation between the cleats and the turf um and literally was about a hand length away from blocking uh, blocking a punt later in, I think, the third or fourth quarter. Uh, should be exciting. I want to see that. I mean, remember the USC punt uh, block last year, field goal block that last year that was just like 
those are game-changing, invigorating plays. I'm really excited that the third frontier special teams is something that it seems like Texas is ready to excel in. Yeah, and we mentioned we mentioned Dicker already off the top, but I think like that can be a differentiator again when Texas gets in those boxing matches uh, during Big Twelve play. So we'll see. Uh, Texas takes on Oklahoma State at home on uh, Saturday, and we'll bring you some more coverage from that uh, as we hit Thursday in our normal Thursday preview show. So now it's the part of the show where we bring you the news that isn't the football recap and we down the 40. So we got another recruiting update, a three-star all-purpose back Ty Jordan committed to the university of Texas after a lot of smoke earlier in the, in the, well, later in the summer and uh, earlier in the fall, USC starting to creep up a little bit. Uh, but he is an incredible dynamic playmaker. He's out of West Mesquite. So hashtag Dallas to Austin continues. Texas moves to the top five in the 2020 recruiting rankings. Yeah, I love it. Um, by the end of the season, hopefully their their AP poll and their recruiting rankings will both be top four, but uh, it's good. I like where we're at. Uh, g- getting a guy who who I heard described as Darren Sproles with speed, 10-5 in the 100, good stuff there. Um, just a, just a, a player that isn't typically the Texas running back that they go after, but the other Big 12 schools will get them. I think USC, um, Tennessee, and TCU were big uh, favorites to get him at some point, but... Uh, the type of guys that kill us. And I look at them and I'm like, gosh, dang it. Why don't we get one of those? Um, so I'm excited to see what this offense, what, uh, what a Beck and, and Herman offense can do with a playmaker like Ty Jordan. He is, he's the kind of guy that Gary Patterson recruits and then just absolutely murders Texas with. Yep. And so I'm glad that uh, they looked past the height. Cause I said this in our, in our burn orange nation kind of group chat and our, our recruiting guy agreed with me. The only thing that's separating Ty Jordan uh, from a high four-star rating is two inches. Yep. Like if he was, if he was five, nine and played like he played, everybody would want him. And, yeah. and so I'm glad Texas scooped him up. Uh, number three, women's golf opened the season at the Annika invitational. They tied for, they're tied for fifth after one day with an even par two eighty eight. Uh, they returned their all American trio of sophomores, but leading the team as freshmen, uh, Sophia Guo. Did I say that right, Kyle? I, I think so. I, I actually, this is her first ever round. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find a pronunciation guy. Could be Guo, could be Guo. Um, we'll just call Guau it. sounds right. Yeah. I, I think we'll just go with, we'll go with, uh, Sophie G. Sophie G is exactly where we're running. Us. So she <laughs> has a three under 69 in her first round. Nice. Uh, number one's men's men's golf open the season, uh, at the OFCC fighting a invitational at Olympia. Um, so they're going to open that in just a few days this weekend. Uh, soccer split last week's matches, uh, two, win over Washington. And then a Sunday disaster uh, against Monmouth. Uh, the loss to Monmouth snapped a three-game win streak, um, but the team was without two-time All-American forward uh, Sierra Hinson. So that was a that was a tough loss for. I, I honestly opened up Twitter and was super shocked. So I was going to settle in and watch that game, and then I saw the score. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to get on the wrong end of a, of a Monmouth. You know, it's uh, I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's scary now. Um, I, they. they they look to get back on track on Thursday against against the Fighting Providence. I believe the women are also the Friars. I don't think there's any uh, clerical issues with that, but the uh, the Providence Friars uh, ladies, uh, women's uh, soccer team coming to Austin. And so finally, number three, volleyball won back-to-back games, uh, topping BYU 3-1, national power there, uh, and then over Wichita State 3 nothing. They're going to take on Rice on Wednesday in Houston. Mikhail White, I was named the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week, while Sidney Peterson was named the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week for their efforts in those big 
wins. But now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I get excited when we play when we play Rice. Um, not just because it, it typically means a, a win for Texas. Um, not just because, you know, I have friends who've gone to Rice and, and people I know who've coached at Rice and I, I have a connection living in Houston to Rice. Not all that. I like Rice because I, I ride hard for the Rice mob. And they they come hard against UT, and it doesn't bother me because I think it's absolutely hilarious. As the guy who writes the Texas pregamer and is known to take reverent shots on this here podcast, you have to be able to receive as well as you dish out. So in that spirit, hopefully everyone caught the uh, the Rice Mob halftime show. If you didn't, um, you search it on YouTube. Maybe we could uh, put that in the notes or something. But the uh, they started out, you know, with a Back to the Future motif. Um, which is pretty funny, uh, riffing on the Texas is back um, that maybe or maybe you haven't heard seems to be around a little bit. Um, but they started with that, and then they uh, they just kind of they just kind of went up and up from there. And I think if you were watching astutely, you knew where this was going at the end. Um, but but while they mocked some some Aggies and some other things, they really honed their spear to land on the uh, the Texas offseason tweet of the 2.89 uh, GPA that, that they put out. Um, again, Rice, um, known as an elite institution themselves, uh, I thought it was a prescient and hilarious shot, uh, all in good fun. I was cheering for it. Um, so well done to the mob not letting me down. Just a quick side note. Next week, Rice takes on Baylor. So you might want to follow their Twitter and see what they have in store. Could be a pretty good one yet again. Um, they've been known to not pull punches. So uh, good on you to the mob. I will never forget being in the student seating at Daryl K. Royal and seeing the mob uh, have several people running from a police car on the field because Texas had several players arrested that previous offseason. Uh, so that was like... They're they're not afraid to and and that's that's why it's funny that's why it's really really because it's not meant to be offensive like it's not they're not out there doing anything like offensive and and that it's just they're taking shots at stuff that honestly someone needs to take a shot at uh, so my bang the drum this week is on uh, hopefully the last time I have to mention air conditioning on this <laughs> podcast but Monday in his press conference um, they the reporters asked Mike Gundy about the air conditioning situation in Austin. And he said that it's never been anything but pleasant for them. They've got great <laughs> facilities and he doesn't doubt that the airflow will be incredible. And I feel like that puts the story, the, the story to bed because Mike Gundy's a pretty stand up guy, like regardless of how you feel about his fashion, regardless of how you feel about the mullet, regardless of how you feel about him rocking a wrestling singlet in videos like he's a pretty stand-up guy like nobody has really bad things to say about Gundy uh, other than Boone Pickens but um R.I.P. Gundy said it <laughs> and uh, at the end he threw this jab and somebody asked are you guys going to take fans with you and he said no we don't have room on the truck which is just the most Mike Gundy response 
ever. And so like, I just, I hope this is a fun game. I hope people are able to really have a good time uh, and just leave all the dumb stuff behind you. Like just, just move on. Like just, let's just move on and talk about what's happening on the field. Cause I, I am anticipating another great one between the Cowboys and the Longhorns. Uh, now uh, he's the second big 12 coach after sweaty Gary Patterson to comment on, on not needing uh, AC updates in the visitor locker room, which if Gary Patterson's fine, I think we all should be fine. But the other, the other person who put this, story ultimately to bed was terry black's barbecue who catered the uh, the lsu um pre-game locker room which is it's fantastic hopefully that was a ploy to slow uh to slow that team down because you can't do a whole lot after eating that very delicious uh brisket but they reported that um they were hot in serving the barbecue right outside the locker room so they they opened the door stepped in and the ac was absolutely cranking uh cooled knock down the sweat on them. So um, I think it is hilarious at this point. It has become one of those quirky college football running jokes. I hope it never stops, but I hope it never stops because it makes LSU look stupid um, in the SEC look like the conspiratorial ridiculous organization um, that it ultimately is. Um, and not that anyone actually believes this uh, malarkey. I still think that Ed Orgeron said that uh, they didn't have any hair in there because he's balding. I think that's <laughs> what we're going with. Uh, but that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. Our most recent episode, we're talking about just some nerdy things you may have missed that you should check out. So check us out. You can find us basically in the same spot where you found this podcast. Just look up Two Woke Nerds. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Ticker for Lou Groza. Hook them.